0: Good morning, Faith Family. If you've got your Bible, go to Hebrews chapter 11 for the last time. Uh, we will finish chapter 11 uh, today and then move on into chapter 12 next week. Uh, we've uh, been all of the month of January in Hebrews 11. Uh, we've been having this conversation and having this uh, talk about an idea about faith. Uh, Hebrews 11 is most known for kind of the chapter of faith. And uh, so we've been talking about what is faith. Uh, Why is faith so important? What does it mean uh, to actually live by faith? And so this morning, uh, we continue to learn more about what it means to live by faith in God. And so if you got your Bibles, Hebrews 11, we're going to pick up in verse 29. And I'm going to ask if you're able to stand to please do so as we honor the reading of God's word. Hebrews 11, verse 29 says, by faith, the people crossed the Red Sea as on dry land, but the Egyptians, when they attempted to do the same, were drowned. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days. By faith, Rahab, the prostitute, did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. And what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah and David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms and enforced justice and obtained promises and stopped the mouth of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They they went in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated of whom the world is not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and dens and caves of the earth. And all of these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us they should not be made perfect. This is God's Word. We've got an important lesson to learn this morning in the road of faith, so pray for me, will you? And pray that God would meet us here and teach us. Let's pray. Father, that is our prayer. Uh, we've been learning a lot the last few weeks as to what it means to live by faith. And I trust that uh, those here today, that we're here because we want to hear from you. We, we want to we live a life that's pleasing to you. And so help us understand uh, what that life is all about, what the life of faith truly is. And so thank you for what you've taught us, and thank you for what you will teach us today. Come and meet us here, we pray. In Christ's name, and God's people said, amen. 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 Please be seated. All you need is a video camera, mm-hmm. some cucumbers, and two monkeys. All right. And you can be a YouTube sensation. That's exactly what happened to Franz De Waal. Franz was a professor at Emory University, where he studies uh, animal behavior. But that's not what made him famous. What made him famous several years ago is he was giving a TED talk, and in the talk, he showed a video of two monkeys that were a part of his research. My guess is many of you have probably seen the video. What he was doing is he was studying how animals respond to fairness and equality. And what he did is he he took these two monkeys and put them in separate cages right beside each other. And they had to perform an activity. In this particular case, they had to hand a human being a stone. And in return, they would get a reward. Slices of cucumber. And both of the monkeys loved the cucumber. They were completely content with the cucumber until the researcher started giving one of the monkeys grapes, which monkeys love. And the other monkey, when she realizes this, remember, she was entirely fine with the cucumbers. When she realizes what's going on, she responds like this. So she gives a rock to us, that's the task. And we give her a piece of cucumber and she eats it. The other one needs to give a rock to us. And that's what she does, and she gets a grape, and she eats it. The other one sees that, she gives a rock to us now, gets again cucumber. She tests the rock now against the wall. She needs to give it to us. And she gets cucumber again. Oh, that is hilarious. That is one mad monkey. Now, we laugh at that. In fact, I've seen that video numerous times, and I laugh every single time, probably because it reminds me of my children, but... We laugh at that, the truth of the matter is we do the exact same thing. The truth of the matter is we cannot stand when we feel like we're treated in an unfair way. We shake the cage of our lives when things are not consistent. You get upset at the restaurant when the table next to you gets their food before you when you were there long before them. The fan base gets outraged when the game isn't called fair too soon, too soon. <laughs> it's aggravating when politicians pander to one group and neglect another. It's aggravating when somebody else gets the promotion that you clearly deserve. You see it around in the culture all the time. We're obsessed with equality I'm not saying that's a bad thing. I'm just saying it is. Gender equality, income equality, racial equality. We're a people that want to be treated equally. Every single one of us is just like, myself included, we're just like my middle child Audrey. She. Some of you have a kid like this. She can't stand it when somebody gets a bigger piece of dessert than her. Why? Say it with me, because it's not fair. All of us want fairness. We want equality. At the very least, we want consistency. So let me ask you this. Have you ever felt that way when it comes to God? Like when it comes to the distribution of blessings, he doesn't have a clue what he's doing. That God is not an equal opportunity employer. If you've ever felt that way, you're not alone. My dear longtime friend, a man by the name of Coelith, you remember him? He's the main character of the book of Ecclesiastes. Do you remember what he says in Ecclesiastes 7 verse 15? Look at it. In my vain life, okay, give him a little bit of grace, I have seen everything, everything under the sun, and here's what I've discovered. There is a righteous man who perishes in his righteousness, and there is a wicked man who prolongs his life in his evil doing. Do you know what he's saying? If you look at life, you will discover that the consequences of life are not handed out fairly. Sometimes the good die young. Sometimes the evil live long. And it shouldn't be that way. Somebody runs you off the road, they ought to break down right then, right there. Amen? Run me off the road. They steal your money. They ought to go bankrupt immediately. But that's not how life works, is it? Sometimes the best team doesn't win. Sometimes the hardest worker doesn't get the promotion. Koelis says the same thing. Ecclesiastes 9 verse 11. I saw under the sun, that is life in this fallen world, that the race is not to the swift. The fast doesn't always win. The battle to the strong, the bread to the wise, the riches to the intelligent, favor to those with knowledge. Here's what it appears to be, that time and chance happen to them all. I'm not saying it is random, I'm just saying, God, it appears random. If you want me to be honest about life, it appears to have no consistency at all. I've shared this with you before. It's worth sharing again. Of what one of my professors and mentors at seminary said about he and his wife's struggle with infertility. He said this, quote, After I brought my wife home from the hospital after suffering our third miscarriage, she's upstairs in the bedroom crying her eyes out, I get in the car, turn on the ignition, and the radio comes on announcing that Madonna is pregnant again. I said, Lord, here I have this godly woman who would be a wonderful mother raising children in the Lord, and Madonna's pregnant? It's not right! They get a grape, I get a cucumber, it's not fair. And it's one thing to acknowledge that from a boss. It's another thing to realize that sometimes it appears that way from God. Do you have a clue what you're doing when it comes to handing out the blessings of life? Oh, cheer up, it gets worse. Listen to what? Ecclesiastes 8, verse 12 says, Though a sinner does evil, uh, watch this, does evil a hundred times and prolongs his life, yet I know that it will be well with those who fear God because they fear before him. Now verse 13, next verse. But it will not be well with the wicked, neither will he prolong his days like a shadow because he does not fear before God. So which is it? Because that appears to be a contradiction. Verse 12 says, a sinner does evil and prolongs his life. Verse uh, 13 says, uh, the wicked will not prolong his days. That's a contradiction to which Coelth would say, and that's my point, so is life. Sometimes The good die young, and sometimes the good live long. And sometimes the wicked die young, and sometimes the wicked live long. It's not only unfair, it's inconsistent. God, if you really want to be honest, seems at times as though he's the worst umpire ever. You throw a ball... Right across the plate, and he calls it a strike. And the very next pitch is right across the plate, and he calls it a ball. It's enough to drive you crazy. If you actually use your brain, I've seen it so many times as a pastor. A Christian that loves God goes to the doctor, finds out they have cancer, and they're cured. Next day, a Christian who loves God goes to the doctor, finds out they have cancer, and they're dead in three months. Why some grapes and some cucumbers? That inconsistency is exactly what we have before us in Hebrews 11. Before I show it to you, let's recap what we've been learning. These last several weeks we're talking about what does it mean to live a life of faith. And we defined what faith is based on Hebrews 11 verse 1. That it's confidence in the promises of God because of the God who promises. It's assurance of the things hoped for. That is those things that God has promised us because He said so. And so we're confident in Him. Why is it so important? Because trusting Him pleases him. Remember 11, uh, Hebrews eleven six. 6. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. And we've given this illustration or analogy of like traveling down two roads. And some people go down the road that they think will please God. What that is, is they try really hard through morality, through self-effort, through good works, good deeds. They think that maybe they can make God happy, but that's not what makes God happy. Trying doesn't please God trusting is what pleases god it's when you have faith in him when you trust him the way this road works do you remember is is uh, you enter into situations in life god has said specific things in his word and you trust him trust him and in trusting him you please him and we've learned some lessons about this road of faith to help us understand what this means. I don't have time to elaborate on them, but let me just give you them quickly. Number one, that sometimes you got to trust that God's way is better than your way. Hello? Abel had to do that. You have to trust God's word, even if it means you won't be popular. Enoch had to do that. When you walk down the road of faith, there will be times you will not fit in the world because of what God's word says. Thirdly, You got to trust God even when his ways seem weird. You know, like build an ark? Do a what? Respond how? Noah had to do that. Fourthly, you got to trust God even when you're struggling by surrendering. Abraham struggled and pushed back and, and, and made mistakes and eventually surrendered to God by faith. Last week we learned that you got to trust God even when you're afraid. There will be times when you are afraid. We learned that in Moses, that the faith in the Lord overcomes the fears of life. And then here's what we've got to learn today. It is so important. It's so important. So important. Please, please, please listen today. You've got and I've got, if we're going to last on the road of faith, we got to trust God when the outcomes seem unfair. We've got to learn to trust God even when the outcomes seem unfair. And here is why. And I'm going to say this many times today, okay? So I'm trying to ingrain it in your mind. The reason this is the case, are you listening? Anybody with me? Is because on the road of faith, the object of your faith is more important than the outcomes of your faith. The object of your faith, that is God, is more important than the life of that you want and part of what i'm on a campaign today to uh to expose is this lie that some of you have heard in church and some of you have heard from the council of other christians it goes like this you know if you just had more faith it'll turn out the way you want it that's a lie This idea is not that if you have faith, you'll get the life that you want, and many times if you have faith, you won't get the life that you want, but you'll please God. Watch what happens on this road of faith. Verse 29, by faith, the people crossed the Red Sea as on dry land, but the Egyptians, when they attempted to do the same, were drowned. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days, By faith Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. Now stop right there. What do all those verses have in common? All those verses are talking about victory. They're talking about deliverance. Uh, they're describing the victories that happened in the lives of God's people as they lived by faith. So for instance, you have Israel. They're, they're right there at the water's edge at the Red Sea, and, and the Egyptian armies are gaining, and, and they're fearful. And what does God do? He parts the sea, they cross on dry land, and the Egyptian armies are destroyed. And it's a victory. It's an amazing victory. They've now been set free from a people that had oppressed them for years. Do you think they celebrated? You better believe they celebrated. In fact, this is what I, I, I'm sure it looked like, something like this. Man, you know they had to be dancing. They had to be celebrating. What an amazing victory that God has just given us. And then remember the first battle of the conquest, Jericho. God gives them like the strangest battle plan ever. We're going to defeat Jericho. Okay, God, how are we going to do it? All right, tanks, weapons, right? How's this going to work? Now, hear me out, hear me out. What I want you to do is every day, once a day, just walk around the city. Do that for six days. Okay, sure, that sounds good. Then we get the tanks. No, on the seventh day, I want you to walk around the city seven times. Then we get the tanks. No, what I want you to do is blow a trumpet and scream as loud as you can. That's the plan. That this is what you want us to do. This is how we're going to be victorious. And they trusted the promise, and the walls came crumbling down. Victory. On this road of faith. And then you remember in Jericho, this prostitute of all people named Rahab. She puts her life on the line to help Israel rather than her own people. And because of that act of faith, she is delivered. And then the author gets to this point where he's like, I'm running out of time here. And there's so much more I could say. Does that sound familiar? Right? Like every week here. And so he just goes rapid fire. Look at verse 32. He mentions Gideon, who had victory over Midian, Barak, who had victory over uh, Sisera, Samson, who had victory over the Philistines, Jephthah, who had a victory over the Ammonites, David, who's the most, most victorious king in Israel, Samuel, who had victory over the Philistines, and look at all that was accomplished, verse 33. Through faith, they conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions. They quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword. Uh, They were strong in weakness. They were mighty in war. They put foreign armies to flight. Even some women received back their dead by resurrection. That happened in Elijah and Elijah's ministry. In other words, think of all these amazing victories that happened along the road of faith. Can I just tell you this, this morning, Faith Family, our God is a victorious God who gives victory in the lives of those who live by faith. Yes, he does. Glory, hallelujah. That's what he does. That's who he is. And and, and let me just make this little footnote here. It's not the main point, but it's worth reminding you, is that if you studied all these individuals in their full context, you would see that this is also a list of failures. Quickly. Barak lacked courage. Gideon asked for signs. Samson had many infidelities. Jephthah vowed to sacrifice his daughter. Samuel's sons did not turn out very good. Uh, Rahab lied and was a prostitute. David was an adulterer and a murderer, and yet they are not remembered for their failures. They are remembered for their faith. And you had better say hallelujah. Hallelujah. Because the good news of the gospel, my dear friend, is you are not defined by your sin. You are defined by your Savior. And though this road of faith is filled with people that expressed faith. It was not without failure. But faith in a great God overcomes great sin. The point is that each of them were given a promise. And they, wait for it, trusted. They trusted the promise of God and they were given victory. Faith family, these are the stories that books are written about, movies are made of. These are the Bible stories children want to hear at bedtime over and over again. They're the incredible victories of the road of faith. And here's what gives me joy to say to you. Please listen to your pastor. Some of you will experience the same. Some of you will get the promotion. Your church will be in the top 10 fastest growing. Your kid will make the honor roll. Your marriage will be a field of roses. You'll lead your coworker to Christ. Your husband's cancer will be healed. Your book will make the New York Times bestseller list. You'll live to 80 and die peacefully in your sleep. You'll buy low and you'll sell high. You'll experience what the old hymn says. I remember singing it as a kid. There shall be showers of blessing. This is the promise of love. There shall be seasons refreshing. sent from the Savior above. I know what you're thinking. Some of you who've been here a while are turning to that guest seated next to you saying, he's just setting us up. He's about to lower the boom and give us but And so as I'm preparing this, I'm thinking, I know that's what people will anticipate at this point. So I'm just going to stop and I'm going to say something. Can I say something? I'm going to say something. There is another side, but before we get to the other side, here's what I got to say. Three things, actually. Number one, never be ashamed of God's victories in your life. We got this thing in evangelicalism called evangelical guilt, and it goes like this. If anything ever successfully has happened in your life, repent immediately. (laughs) I experienced this when our church made the fastest growing list. Uh, I felt like every conversation that I entered into when that was brought up, I had to clarify this and explain that and then preface this. And eventually I just felt like God said this, would you just shut up and give me praise for the work that I want to do at Berean? I don't need your clarification." I don't need you to explain me. What I want you to do is just be grateful that I'm doing something in your life. Yes, thank you, thank you, Lord. If you've been successful and you've experienced good things and your kid made the honor roll, you know what you ought to do with that? Praise him. Don't be ashamed of that. God has dealt you blessing. You have nothing to be ashamed of. Secondly, do you I had to say something? Secondly, is do not be jealous of God's victory in other people's lives. Amen. This is just as important. Rejoice, the Bible says, with those who rejoice. Now, what I'm about to say, I mean metaphorically, but it might apply literally. Here it is. If you can't rejoice in another person's pregnancy, Because of your infertility, the enemy has stolen your joy. Because jealousy of others will destroy joy in God. And here's why. And here's the third thing of something i got to say. It's because God deserves praise for all the victories of life. Whether they're yours or someone else's. On this road of faith, God is going to deal hands of blessings. Praise Him! He's worthy of glory and honor for the victories He gives. Don't be ashamed of it. Don't be jealous of it. Give Him praise for it. Here's the point. On the road of faith, as we travel down this road, here's what we learn. When you trust God in those victories, in those good times, you please God. You please Him. Now, as Paul Harvey would say, most of which have no idea who that is, (laughs) the rest of the story, the but you've been waiting for, verse 36. Others Do you see the shift in the text? Others suffered mocking, flogging, chains and imprisonment. They were stoned and sawed in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in the deserts and mountains and the dens and caves of the earth this is the list nobody wants to be on and it's probably the part of scripture your Sunday school teacher ignored and the reason was is because this lie has been taught and the lie is this the more faith you have the better your life will be And I'm here to tell you the truth. You ready for some truth? Here's the truth. Notice it on the screen. Suffering does not mean you're lacking faith. Sometimes quite the opposite. Sometimes the reason that you're suffering is because you have faith. That's what the author of Hebrews wants to say to these Hebrews. To be faithful, that is full of faith, Means you will have to walk into suffering and not turn back. And yet, we have this idea so often that if I'm going through difficulty, there must be something wrong with my faith. Stop it. That is nonsense. Faith does not mean that everything is going to work out because the Christian life is not kittens and cupcakes. Abel died because of his faith. Moses lost his status and wealth in Egypt because of his faith. Some were mocked, flogged, chained, prisoned, stoned, sawn in two, killed by sword, made to wear animal skins for the amusement of others, lived in deserts and caves. In fact, some didn't even get to see all the promises in their lifetime. Look at it. Verse 39. And all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better for us. That apart from us, they should not be made perfect. What in the world does that mean? It just simply means this. You ready? Oh, God, teach us. God was doing something in Abraham that was bigger than Abraham. God was doing something through Moses that was bigger than Moses. And so Abraham got to see some of the promises. He got Isaac. What he didn't get was to see all the nations blessed. Why? That happens in Jesus So Abraham dies not seeing all the fulfillment of his promises because God's doing a bigger work in Christ through these promises. But guess what? One day Abraham will get more than he could have ever dreamed. And so will you. And you have got to keep the perspective that in your little story, God's doing a big story. And that means you must trust him. Whether you are shutting the mouths of lions or taking the end of the sword, he's God in the big story. I'm not trying to be mean. I'm really not. I I know my motive here, so don't even send me the email. You won't find Joel Osteen writings on passages like this. And I say that pastorally, not as a dig. You will not hear prosperity preachers preach on this passage. Why? Because on the road of faith, every day is not a Friday. And you don't get your best life now. Your best life now is called the resurrection. And you won't always be prosperous. And in those moments, faith family, you have got to learn this or you won't last long. And that is the object of your faith is greater than the outcomes of your faith. Getting God is better than getting the goods. Pleasing God is better than earthly prosperity. God is the one who is sovereign over the distribution of his blessings, and sometimes those blessings come in painful packages. And I don't know why, but he does. And you're going to have to trust him. Because on the road of faith, some are going to get dealt one hand, and some are going to get dealt another hand. But all I know is in all of this, God's doing something. And so whether it's in the good or whether it's in the bad, the lesson's still the same. Trust him. There's some 3,000 plus people that will come through here this weekend. And I wouldn't be a pastor worth a thing if I didn't say this. Some of you will live by faith and it won't go well. You won't get the promotion. Your church won't grow. Your kids won't turn out the way you hoped. Your marriage will struggle all your days. You'll share Christ and there'll be no fruit. Your husband's cancer won't be healed. You'll never get published. You may die young and your bank account will struggle just to balance. And what we must learn on this road of faith is this. When you trust Him Even in those seasons of sorrow, you please Him. Habakkuk 3 verse 17. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, The produce of the olive fail. The fields yield no food. The flock be cut off from the fold. There be no herd in the stalls. In other words, in an ancient Near Eastern mindset, there's total famine and destitution. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I'll take joy in the God of my salvation. God the Lord is my strength. What is Habakkuk saying there? The object of my faith is more important than the outcomes of my faith. I don't rejoice in trees. I don't rejoice in cattle. I don't rejoice in, in fruitfulness. I rejoice in God. And whether the Lord gives or the Lord takes away, I have God. I'll trust Him. This still leaves us with the tension of how this gets distributed. Why grapes and cucumbers? In fact, what I'm trying to show you is that Hebrews 11 actually proves the tension of Ecclesiastes, and it can drive you insane. John Stott says this, quote, suffering undoubtedly constitutes the single greatest challenge to the Christian faith in every generation. Watch. Its distribution and degree appear to be entirely random And therefore, unfair. So let me remind you what Jesus taught about the kingdom. Do you remember the parable of the day laborers? Matthew chapter 20. A guy goes out and he hires a group of people to work for him early in the morning and they agree to a denarius of payment. And he keeps hiring different groups throughout the day. In fact, he comes at the end of the day with just about an hour or so left and he hires another group. And he tells all these other groups, I'll pay you what is right. What's fair? Watch what happens. Matthew 20, verse 9. And when those hired about the 11th hour, that is late in the day, came, each of them received a denarius. They got a grape. Now, when those hired first came, well, they thought they would receive more, but each also received a denarius. Wait a minute. If they got a grape, I ought to get two grapes because I worked longer. And on receiving it, they grumbled at the master of the house saying, well, these last worked but an hour. And you've made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. But he replied to one of them, friend, I'm doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to the last worker as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or do you begrudge my generosity? Because if you want to be real, it's only by grace you're on this road of faith to begin with. Amen. And if all you get at the end of the road is God forever, sister, that's enough. And the hands he deals along the road are his to deal. He's God, not you. You've got to learn to trust him. On this road of faith, brother, sister, I'm not saying this is easy. I'm just saying this is how it is. That what we've got to learn is that you got to trust God with whatever the payment. Because whatever the payment is, it's grace. And when you do, you please him. You please him. because Because the object of our faith is more important than the outcomes of our faith. Let me show you that quickly and we'll close. Look at how the chapter starts. And I want to prove to you why I'm saying the object of faith is more important than the outcomes. Look back at chapter 11, verse 1. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it, that is by faith, the people of old, all these people we've been talking about for these several weeks, receive their commendation. Here's the point. Do you know what was consistent among all these people? It wasn't the circumstances of life. And, and in fact, uh, Abraham is very different than Gideon. Abraham gets to be the father of many nations. Gideon doesn't get to be that. Gideon's story is different than Abraham's story. Except for one thing. Faith. The constant in their life was not the circumstances of life. The constant thing was confidence in God. Because the road of faith is about a who, not a what. It's not getting somebody else's story. It's trusting God in your story. Are you with me? Yeah. That's what's consi- The one thing that's constant on this road of faith is God and faith in God. Everything else we have to trust. Here are some implications as we close. On the road of faith, the only consistency is God. Do you remember? i got to wrap this up. This is the last service. There's nothing happening tonight. Take your time. Do you remember Paul in Philippians when he says, whether I have a lot or whether I have a little? I'm good. I'm content. Why? Because I have God. And that's what this race is all about. That I might know him. Everything else is rubbish. Are you getting it? Yes. He's the constant. Not the circumstances of life. Two. On the road of faith, the goal is to please God. Don't ever forget that. The goal is not to get the kind of life you want. It's to please God with your life. And without faith, it's impossible to please him. Thirdly, on the road of faith, endurance matters more than escape. Endurance matters more than escape. That's what all of this is about, is endure to the end. Now now keep in mind, you know, sometimes I have to be careful. I'm kind of giving you some things that other services didn't get. Okay, are y'all, are you all right with that? You know, the problem with teaching general principles like that is I'm not saying that there aren't situations that you shouldn't get out of. I mean, if somebody's in an abusive situation, it doesn't mean well. You just need to endure that. Not as, no, no, that's not what I'm saying at all. I'm talking about in faith. When we're talking about suffering for our faith, it's not well. How do I make my life more comfortable? It's how do I endure for Christ. That's what I'm talking about. Endurance matters more than escape. That's what all this is about, and I'll show you this even more next week as we get into chapter 12. Let me give you one last one, and then we will wrap it up, I promise. On the road of faith, obedience is more important than outcome. Obedience is more important than outcome. Let let me address something that is another thing that often gets uh, um, taught out of context. Have you ever heard in in, in Luke, I think it's Luke 17, where Jesus talks about if you had faith the size of a mustard seed, you could move a mountain or you could say to that tree and uproot it and plant it into the sea. Do you know the passage I'm talking about? And and, and people have, you've probably heard it said this way, if you just had more faith, oh, the outcomes that you could get, the mountains that you could move. The problem with that is The context. Let me tell you what Jesus is actually teaching there. Jesus says, If your brother sins against you, forgive him if he repents. In fact, if he sins against you seven times in a day and repents, forgive him seven times. To which the disciples say, Increase our faith. And Jesus said, If you had faith the size of a mustard seed, you could move a mountain, you could move that tree into the sea. What's he saying? He's using hyperbole. Guys, he's talking to the disciples. What's harder, moving a mountain or forgiving your brother? Well, forgiveness is hard. We would never deny that. But it's easier than moving a mountain. Well then if it only takes a little faith to move a mountain it only takes a little faith to forgive. Guys what you need is not more faith. You need to trust me. You have enough faith. Obey. Faith is not about moving the mountains in your life. It's trusting God with your life. And I know, I know that there is nobody here that likes to feel like we're not treated fairly. I get that. And I understand that it's easy to be angry at God When everybody else seems to be getting grapes, and you keep being dealt cucumbers, and that's why you must remember daily the one that has gone before you, the author and perfecter of your faith, the one who is treated with anything but fairness, the one that received anything but justice. Listen, the one who received what he did not deserve, so you would never receive what you deserve. And in the face of all that was unfair, Jesus never shook his cage in anger. He endured his cross with joy. And as a result, he offered up A sacrifice that was pleasing to God. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. Pray with me. God, help us think rightly on the road of faith. We have been told at times that if we just had more faith, things would turn out. Your word says the opposite. Sometimes faith will mean it won't turn out. But it will always be good in the end. Because no matter how long we're on this road of faith, eventually we get you forever and ever and ever and ever. And we even get you now in the joys, in the sorrows, in the showers of blessing, and in the showers of suffering you're doing something god and we we probably wouldn't even understand it if you told us so we've got to learn to trust you and i have a feeling there are people here right now in situations where that's how they need to respond is just god i trust you i trust you I celebrate the victory that I'm going through right now. I cling to you in the sorrow and hurt that I'm facing right now. But through it all, I believe. I believe. God help us. In Jesus' name, amen.